right, and we're live. Welcome back to the Op Show, where we bring you the trials and tribulations, automations and collaborations from the world of DevOps and the developer experience. We have the best show yet for you today, and our guest is Sadie Freeman, who's a backend engineer, a code instructor, and works in Go for Dapper Labs. Welcome, Sadie. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. Um, I've actually, I, I kind of pinged you over email right before this, but I'm going to throw it out there. Do you work in Slack? Yeah, I do. Yeah. And do you, uh, so we're testing out this new, uh, new little bit here, but what's your favorite sa sa Slack app, uh, that you use, uh, within your workspace? Um, actually I don't, I don't think my work uses it right now, but my old place had the Giphy app installed oh yeah it was great classic. i used to send pictures to my my tech lead all the or like gifts to my tech lead all the time of like a cat hanging off a branch being like help help me <laughs> yeah that's a classic cat cat giphy um go, thanks for sharing we're big fans of slack and so i'm um, always curious to get uh people's tips and tricks and uh favorite apps that they're using from the slack marketplace um, so a great starting point, I think you have a really interesting story of when you getting into development and some of the learnings along the way. So how did you get started when, as a developer, um, you know, take us back to the beginning and kind of walk us forward from there. Sure. Yeah. So I guess I've always been kind of techie just on sort of computers. Like I was one of the, I had the Neopets HTML background. Ooh. I don't know if you've seen that. There's there's a bunch of people on Twitter right now because Neopets has released a new, uh, they're kind of coming back. And there's a lot of people going, actually, yeah, I learned like coding from Neopets. Um, so yeah, when I was a teenager, I used to kind of dabble in, in teaching myself HTML. But um, I also, my dad was just really techie too. Like he, he was the kind of computer guy in town and he was always fixing other people's computers. So then whenever I needed help, he was like, no, you gotta Google it. Like, this is you. <laughs> um, but I never really kind of got into it as a career um, until a couple of years ago. So I ended up finding a career um, in something completely different. I was working in learning and development uh, for a restaurant group in the UK. Um, and, and a very interesting restaurant group, right? With a very like uh, dynamic yeah. leader, right? Yes, it was. Yeah. So uh, working for Jamie Oliver, uh, celebrity chef, wow. um, which was really fun. It was, a, it was a really great place. And I actually worked there for five years in kind of various roles. Like I started out in recruitment and then moved into learning and development and then kind of worked my way up to uh, sort of managing a, a small team there. Um, and it was, yeah, just a totally different experience. Really, really interesting. He used to come into the restaurants every now and again when we did openings and kind of come into the office. Super nice guy, exactly how he was on TV. Um, I love his perspective on just, you know, thinks a lot about the environment and like farm to table. And like, he just seems like a really socially conscious food guy. Um, yeah. Kind of like a Michael Pollan. For sure, yeah. And just very like unpretentious too. Um, one of the things that I really liked was for the longest time, the restaurants had uh, a truffle risotto on the menu at a pretty like reasonable price. And it was just because he wanted like, it was a family restaurant. He wanted families of all, you know, all types to be able to try this truffle risotto because normally truffle is really expensive. Um, so that was, mm -hmm. yeah, I really liked that. Um, but yeah, so I worked there uh, for five years and I ended up in kind of a role where 
we were working on really um, like fine tuning our training system because at the time we had all of the like all of the staff in the restaurants from uh, waiters all the way up to head chef and general managers going through training in kind of these like training booklets um, which as the restaurants growed it was just like not sustainable um, and I started looking into online learning systems and that was kind of my project for like a good year year and a half was researching um, and eventually we kind of bought an online learning system but um, I was kind of involved in the project managing of the integration of it so getting it to hook up with our HR system um, and getting all of the learning materials onto that system which I wasn't doing any of the like coding but I was kind of the go-between between like the HR team and the developers and I just remember feeling very much like you know I like what I'm doing now but I really want to do what these people are doing because <laughs> um, I know what I need from this system I just don't exactly know how to make it work or how to like do it um, so you want to get more into then, like the, the building like be a little more hands-on with the solving the problem yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's that kind of like, I can see the problem, I know exactly what it is, and I know what would fix it. I just don't know how to actually do that. Um, do you think back, and I kind of over see, the years... I just got to know, I'm sorry, but if you think back, were you into math, science, any of those sorts of like subjects that would lead you to unpack what that like voice in the back of your head was that was saying, go towards the software development? What, like, what Not even think? a little bit. No, no? Okay. <laughs> Music? No, Music's sometimes the one that I see come yeah. up quite a bit. Music? Actually, yeah. Yeah, I was, um, like, if I think about high school, I was the classic theater nerd. Um, like, musical theater, played the saxophone. Um, and I was very into, like, English and social studies were, like, the humanities were my strengths. Okay. Um, I was kind of good at math. I just didn't have, like, a lot of drive for it. I was like, I, I can do this, but I don't know why I'm doing it. Yeah, yeah. And so I kind of was a bit lazy that way. Well, if you're good at it, that might be, you know, I was, I was really good at math, but I failed all my math classes. Um, so it wasn't like right, I enjoyed yeah. math, but I was good at it, which I think is part of what drove me along with my music uh, experiences in, in my younger years to be more interested in programming. Yeah, totally. I think, yeah, for sure. And it's kind of when people say like, oh, you have to be good at math to be good at programming. It, don't think that's the case. I think it's logic. I think it's like problem solving and logic that is really what kind of gets you leveled up that way, for sure. Um, but yeah, and I, yeah, so I kind of dabbled a little bit in trying to teach myself some code, but at that point you're like, I don't know where to start. There's so much, there's all these, like, what language do I start with? What, do I try to build something? Or do I just try to learn like, algorithms um and then kind of just in a perfect storm of stuff at the same time so i was living in london in the uk um i decided i wanted to move back to canada because i'd been there seven years loved it but i was ready to come home um and i had a friend that had done lighthouse labs so web development boot camp a year before and she was working as a developer um and i was like all right well this is if I'm going to do it, it's going to be now. Um, so I did that in March of 2018. I went through the Lighthouse Bootcamp, um, which was like one of the hardest things I've done, but also like 
I've never had so much enjoyment out of working like 12 hours a day straight for three months. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was like- So that's it, you blocked out everything else and you're like, I'm gonna do that. And yeah. how, how did you decide what course or language or what direction you went into? Um, well, I looked at, at the time they were only offering either the web development bootcamp or the iOS bootcamp. And, and I kind of looked at other, other companies too, but I, I had that like connection with someone I knew had done the course. Cause on the face of it, you're like, really, you're going to go and learn for three months and then get a job. Like, is that actually possible? But since I knew someone, I was like, okay, well, like, I mean, mm -hmm. she's, she's incredibly intelligent. So <laughs> I yeah, wasn't surprised so that, at all. But... Social referral that like that clout yeah. kind of helped you get, get you over the edge to know that this is actually possible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it just kind of came from there and, and I looked at the kind of, uh, curriculum for it and it was talking through, um, you know, making web pages, uh, making web apps, um, making kind of responsive web apps and then backend stuff. And I was always kind of interested in the backend side of things too. Like I didn't want to just focus on, um, the front end. Uh, so it kind of offered a really nice mix of everything get like front end back end database um with the goal of kind of producing these like full stack junior developers um yeah and so that's that's why i went through that um and it was great and i loved it uh came out of it two two years ago roughly and and now yeah. you're a full-time developer now i'm a full-time developer yeah which <laughs> is kind of crazy like I don't think if you told me two years ago when I was looking for a job um, that I would be, you know, actually getting paid to do something I really enjoy. I think I, I'm not sure I would have believed it. Um, but I, uh, I ended up getting my first job uh, as a junior developer with a small startup in, in Vancouver um, and kind of just got really lucky because the the job was back end and that's what I was really kind of drawn to. Um, probably because it's like that logic problem solving. Um, I love front end and I have endless amounts of respect for front end developers because I think it's way harder than back end. Um, and I don't think I have patience for it. But uh, yeah, so I got super lucky. I got this back end junior dev job with a fantastic tech lead, Sean, um, who I still keep in touch with. Uh, and he really trained me up from knowing just, you know, as much as three months, you learn a lot, you still know very little in the grand mm -hmm. scheme of things. So it's yeah, really yeah. What was on that the like, job. Well, I guess one, I think you've talked about how important mentorship was to you, but I was also thinking like, you know, how did, how did it feel getting, coming out of a coding boot camp? you know, three months and, and then getting that first job and like that first day on a job, like, what was that? Was that like, you know, was there a reality check or was it like, oh, actually, like I can do, you know, a lot of this already. And, and you know, and, and, and now that I have like a, you know, this, this network of uh, coworkers and mentors like that actually can really help you or tell me about that, like that kind of that transition from school to practice. It was terrifying, mostly, um, in the nicest way, because I think everyone there made it much less terrifying. But it's like going right back into boot camp, basically, is all of a sudden you're like, oh, cool. OK, now I have something completely new. Um, 
still don't really know what I'm doing. Um, and, and the other thing was it was in Go. So Golang, the programming language, uh, is not taught at Lighthouse. We learned JavaScript and Ruby. Um, and so, uh, yeah, getting kind of thrown into that as well and learning a whole new language was a lot. But um, I think, yeah, I think mentorship, again, really important. Like, Sean is great, really, really patient with me and really, you know, kind of supportive. Um, and I think also very, one of the things I think is so important for senior developers too is being so visible with when they're having a hard time solving something or when they've made a mistake or something. Um, you know, like we would be sitting there and he would message me and be like, I just spent an hour looking for this thing that turned out to be a typo, oh my God. And then I'm like, oh, okay. So that's okay. <laughs> Instantly you're just like, okay, it's not, you know, I'm not the worst developer in the world if I spend an hour looking for a typo. It just sometimes that happens. Um, to, so the, yeah, to, I think to that. kind of build out that, like it, it just, it was kind of like friends, a friend that became a mentor to you, or did you kind of like, did you explicitly be like, Hey, I, can you mentor me and like, you know, support me on some of this or uh, it just happened naturally. I think it was kind of natural just because of the nature of the team. So I was coming in as a junior developer, Sean was tech lead and we were the only two on the back end. Um, so it was a small game studio, and so there was a lot of other uh, like games developers, but we were the only two backend. Um, so very much like the role was, he was looking for someone to mentor and to kind of train up. Um, and so that just kind of happened really, really naturally as a as like kind of the nature of the role um, and the structure of the team. Um, and yeah, was, and I learned so much like in the so I was there for a year and I learned just tons um and but even so it's like every month goes by and you're like doing things that are second nature now that you know you had no idea what to do a couple months ago but you still feel like you have so much ahead of you and that's that's the kind of imposter syndrome too where you never feel like you've caught up you never feel like you're uh the yeah there's the state of technology just moves so fast that it's it's uh I love this quote from Socrates, which is something like the more you the more you know, the more you don't know, or something to that extent that like you have this yeah. realization that you can't really master everything or know everything. So that the smarter the smarter people, you know, are are true about that. For sure, totally. It's like the the cycle of learning. You have the uh uncon you start with like being unconsciously incompetent at something. So like you don't know what you don't know. And then you become consciously incompetent or you're very aware that you don't know something. Um, and then you get to the consciously competent stage. So if you're like learning to drive, that's when you're like, okay, but I have to check my blind spot. And then finally you get to the unconsciously competent where you're on autopilot. And it's funny because I don't think that ever happens as a developer. Like, I don't think you can ever, you're ever going to get to that final stage of learning. Or if you do, I mean, the nature of it, it's a, it's a cycle. As soon as you get there, you start on the next thing that you're I, unconsciously I you incompetent. I've, I've thought about this a lot. I mean, we talked a little bit before about how, okay. important, how, how important confidence is in software developers. But I think that last progression, one of the things about it is there's like, 
you learn you're learning different skills right like lighthouse lab sets you up to get over that yeah. first hurdle of i don't know what to learn there's an infinite amount of possibilities there's like here's a couple start there then you go into go and the only transferable skill is that you learned how to learn things you don't know and then you learn go yeah. and you move into the second phase this third phase is you're like i've learned enough things that i'm comfortable in my environment I think that fourth stage requires a, a level of like humility. It's almost like what you're talking about with the senior engineer who was willing to be vulnerable about the things that they didn't know. And and one of the things I've always told people when they join a company is like, look, you know, you're gonna feel imposter syndrome, that's okay. But I, I want you to know I'll never be mad if you fail at something. I'll only be mad is if you quietly try to solve it without asking anyone else. Because what you're saying there is that I'm afraid to fail, I'm afraid to learn. And I think when you get into that mentor ish position, that's kind of like that force cycle where I think the goal at that point is then to like realize that you're not, it's not about learning technology, it's about the humility and the interactions and the transferability of your knowledge to other people. And, and like you can create an environment where that's possible. And then it's less about your learning cycles, right? It's more about creating for sure, that yeah. reinforcement loop for others' learning cycles. Definitely. Yeah, I think I think celebrating failure is a really, really important part in both junior and senior devs career paths and, and lives, because I think you with every failure you get with every error message you read, you learn something yeah. and that brings you closer and closer to what you're trying to achieve. What do you think were the things like the most obvious things like obviously you had to learn go you know, as technology now you have you know, check that yeah. box. It's easy to learn new technologies. What were the things that you think were things you had to learn on the job that just were you didn't even realize? Like I always usually assume workflows, best practices, communication, business things. Uh, you know, what were the things there and how did that play into your experiences? Was that something that you were exposed to much? Um yeah, I think like I think the working the team, the communication, that kind of style of things was pretty familiar to me just from my background before. I think one thing that took a while to get used to, and I still don't know if I if I am used to it, is just the nature of programming and kind of refactoring and throwing out code. So, you know, you spend like a week on something and then sort of two weeks later, you're like, ah, that's not gonna work this needs to be like implemented a different way i gotta throw this out yeah. and that takes a while to kind of not feel like because at the end of the day like unless you know there are times when that gets out of out of control but usually it's like well no this was a stepping stone to like a stronger feature or um something that's going to hold up more like better and scale better so looking at it as like a stepping stone and a learning opportunity instead of just i just lost a week of work which yeah, can be hard breaking to that with. breaking that attachment to yeah, yeah. that's huge I mean, yeah you, that's such a big part of the later learning loops i think where i love this term that we just came up to it's like normal like the learning loops the four learning loops of software development see you're writing a blog post about this for us um, <laughs> please. Awesome. Yeah, like in those later learning loops, I think what you're really figuring out, probably the third learning loop, as, as I have that mental model now, you're probably learning a lot about how to incrementally be right. And I think one of the assumptions we have yeah. that causes a lot of imposter syndrome is we think, they're, like math, 
you know, like we learn in school, there's only one right answer. You got to do it in a certain amount of time and you're going to be graded on it. Whereas so much in software development is incremental and you can make really good decisions to implement things incrementally and iteratively and be doing so at the pace of say business interests or business requirements. And when you learn how to ebb and flow with that, you're actually never wrong, right? You're, you can always yeah. be right. Um, but one of the things I often see is this bias towards trying to be right means you overcommit on something too early and you're not really aware, you know, not you, but like generally engineers may not be aware of the variables that are changing around them. And then it may not even be that you wrote it wrong. It's just some circumstance change and that invalidated your last two weeks. So I always call, yeah. talk about it as being like really heads up and aware that you're doing more than programming. What you're trying to do is incorporate incremental learning and incremental implementation into what you think right is and you're only going to unpack right over time as people give you more information about what your process is right or what you're trying to achieve yeah for sure i think that's a really nice way of looking at it too because it does the other thing is it kind of toys with this like perf perfectionist mindset mm -hmm. as well and i found that coming from so like a very different role where i was doing a lot of um like administration stuff and organizing workshops and running training sessions where that was very much about like perfectionism and having to be is like you, if you do something you do it complete and you do it right whereas development is so much about if you if you go into it with the mindset of like i'm gonna do this all perfectly you're never even gonna get started yeah because you there, there is no perfect it's like okay what's yeah. the least i can do to make this thing work you nailed it minimalism and start I, from there because you want to yeah. care about your craft right you want to take pride in it and you want to do it well i try not to say do it right because right is you know subjective in my opinion a lot of times with software development but you want to do it well you want to do it in a way you're proud of you want to care but if you do it so in such a way where it inflates or creates exposure for the time allocation that you've invested into it then it's a diminishing return. So I always try to focus on this idea of how can I do it well, but taking a minimalist mindset to it, because I think minimalism is beautiful. It's elegant and it's like, you know, it's a real craft. It's easy to do things the, uh, the complicated ways. I always say it takes a lot of effort to do things the simple way. Definitely, for sure. So what happened after that? Dapper Labs came next? Kind, well, okay. so. In the middle of that, so last year, uh, so the company I was working for was a small startup and anyone that's worked for a small startup knows sometimes things don't always go to plan. Um, so about April last year, myself and a couple other team members got laid off just due to company funding stuff. Um, but they were actually really great. They, I stayed on with them as like a contractor um, for a little bit um, and they like, you know, were really great in terms of like career resource um, and finding a new job. Um, and in that time, so I was applying for lots of stuff, um, applying for just, you know, junior dev positions that I could find in Vancouver, um, a couple remote things, although things weren't as remote friendly as they are now. Yeah. Um, and I saw an opportunity, it was a volunteer opportunity to teach web development right. in Ethiopia. Um, so applied for that, um, and ended up talking to the wonderful Wangi, who is basically, has basically created this like incredible pro program. Um, she's from Ethiopia, but 
was at UBC um, doing her computer science degree and organized this three month long program for women in Ethiopia to learn web development. Kind of very similar style to like what we've seen at Lighthouse. Um, and her idea was to have different teachers come in at different parts of the course to teach different segments. Um, so basically within a week of talking to her, I was on a plane Whoa. and ended up... <laughs> to Ethiopia. <laughs> to Ethiopia. Wow, that's, a big, that's a big job. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was like, I don't have a job right now. If I'm going to get on a plane to Ethiopia, this is the best time to do it. Um, and I had been teaching at Lighthouse before as well. So I was teaching the part-time intro to front-end course and also doing some of the web development lectures. Um, and just coming from kind of like a training background, kind of putting together training materials and, and delivering them, it was, it was all kind of like familiar for me. Um, so yeah, so I was like, I, I guess I may as well do it. Nice. Um, and it was incredible. It was, I was there for two and a half weeks teaching mostly like their front end kind of segment. Um, there's about 20, 20 or so young women um, some of them had computer science degrees already. Actually, most of them did, but the kind of nature of the computer science program over there is that you don't actually write a ton of code like on a computer. So they would write their exams like pen on paper. Um, so a lot of the stuff like getting familiar with the command line and GitHub, that kind of thing was new, but like they were like caught on super quick. Um, and it was, yeah, just like, awesome awesome experience um from the teaching one of the i think most memorable thing for me was just being there on the first day meeting all of the, the women and one of them came up to me and she was like you're the first female software engineer i've ever met i was wow. like what <laughs> <laughs> oh wow that's awesome um, you were were you in uh is it a deed addis ababa addis ababa yeah uh, yeah in so the we capital? were okay yeah so I was staying there, uh, Wangi and I were sharing like a, a little condo there um, and we were teaching at the university for technology. Okay. Um, so we would walk up um, and best food I've ever eaten. Ethiopian food's amazing, love it so All much. All right, you have that uh, spongy bread that- uh, Yeah, injera. You kind of eat every, yeah, injera that you, eat, you use to eat everything, yeah. Yeah, oh, it's amazing, I love it. And I'm vegetarian and it's all like really vegetarian friendly food. So it's perfect. Um, so eight tons of injera. Um, and then about like a week and a half in, we were teaching and we kind of had, there was definitely like obstacles there. Um, the internet was kind of spotty, uh, even in like the university. Um, and, but for the most part, we got stuff up and running. And then one day the government shut the internet down completely um, like across completely, the board across the whole country so around whenever they have uh like national exams they do it to prevent cheating um and they shut down oh. the internet so mobile really? signal everything wow. um or like mobile data so the only way to contact someone is by calling them um but then the lines are like really crossed up anyway so we were like it was just really interesting it was like wow yeah like, I use the internet for a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you're just kind of completely shut down at that point. And how, yeah. how many days did it go on for? So it was down for the first day uh, and then it came back on in the evening for like a couple hours. And at that point, 
we knew because what had happened was we, we I went in to teach in the morning. I was like, oh, do you, do you know why the internet's down? They're like, oh yeah, no, they they shut it off. Um, and I was like, okay, I guess we're I guess we're gonna do like some HTML on the whiteboard. <laughs> um but then in the evening because we knew they're like yeah they do this every couple like every year for a couple days so in the evening we just like downloaded docs and we i got all of like my learning stuff all of my teaching stuff on on my desktop got everything kind of set up so that i could at least do like kind of a lecture um with some sort of pseudo live coding uh and then and then mostly we were focusing on html and css so that wasn't too bad we just had to kind of, you never realize how much you rely on documentation until you physically can't access it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I have so, a, a somewhat yeah. similar experience, but maybe not, it's not somewhat similar. I, uh, maybe five years ago, I think I had three weeks notice maybe, but it was a contract opportunity in China for this company. And so I flew to Shanghai, cool. never been anywhere in Asia or anywhere really outside of North America at that point super super hot that's the one thing i remember about it but what i, I remember is um also just because of the there's you can't get to a lot of the north american internet sites i couldn't even i think get to AWS yeah. at that time or something and um and it was crazy to just my whole experience of the internet my whole foundational expectation of how things work suddenly just was like and there's a whole other set of problem solving skills i had to come up with about i remember setting up vpns and all kinds of different things that i had to yeah. do to just get to the stuff that would be normal for me um and it's an interesting so you experience. didn't you, did you have to rebuild your stack completely or you found ways to get back to your old stack yeah i can't remember exactly the details there was a lot and it was a very short project a lot of a lot of late hours and stuff i remember the air conditioning would shut off at 6 p.m that was one of the things that was troubling <laughs> But aside from that, it was just like what you have access to on the internet there is different, right? Like there's just more of um, yeah. uh, the great firewalls, I think what they, what it's called uh, in some circles, but you couldn't get to a lot of social media stuff. You couldn't get to YouTube. Um, you know, there was a lot of stuff that you could get to that would just be fine because it's, you know, media or politically neutral, I guess would be maybe the notion. But um, I remember that there were certain things that I just couldn't get to that I usually could that I took for granted and I had no idea how to work around it. You know, it's not like my I could hop on my LTE and just like tether it to my laptop or anything, you know? And so you had a whole, a whole other set of problems. And then just generally like the learning, it, it was reflected in the learning styles of the other software engineers that I would I would actually meet. And I'd talk to them and they'd, they'd be taking these steps and I'd be like, why are you doing that? Why don't you just do this? And they'd be like, well, and then you'd have this thing that they they have to work around. So, I mean, it's, it's I think it's a really humbling, experience it goes back to that learning loop stuff it's like there's just so much in north america you know especially here in vancouver silicon valley anywhere in north america that's tech centric we have such a, a rapid learning loop and a rapid access to tools and, and it must have been a great experience yeah. to just be able to sort of be in that fourth learning loop <laughs> uh feed, oh, yeah. feeding it back down but also they're teaching you because you're just yeah. it's a totally different environment right for sure yeah it's not you know it's not like teaching at lighthouse where you show up with your laptop and like borrow a plug-in and get to work like showing it up on the tv we're like okay we, we have a projector uh we have to you know like make sure we have all the stuff like the wires and stuff and um and then we were waiting on a little while the laptops for for the women hadn't arrived so we were trying to use like different computer labs in different sections of the university but some of them 
didn't like the internet didn't work very well so we kind of like move one point like we were sitting in the hallway getting semi-good internet trying to kind of teach and um and do some stuff but yeah it was yeah very humbling experience here's the question i'm dying to know did you see the same kind of imposter syndrome in those students that you felt when you went through the experience here yeah i think so i think it's interesting i definitely um you know i would talk to them afterwards and and a lot of them would be like oh like i'm not sure that like i'm i'm cut out for this um which is you know just such a classic thing that i think so many people feel when they're starting out in tech um but what i what i did really notice was on a similar end like i remember one of the days going into the classroom in the morning so we would do the lecture in the morning they would have projects to work on in the afternoon and evening and then we would, and we would kind of let them um work on that on their own in the evening and we would come in the morning and see how how everything went and one of them had said uh one of the girls had said like she was finding it really really hard and it was really frustrating and she was just like so ready to quit and then it worked she got it to work and she felt like the best developer in the world <laughs> and i was like that is the feeling yeah. the like, magic that moment. is the feeling right there yeah yeah. yeah, the reason I ask is I sometimes wonder if part of the imposter syndrome is just that, you know, there's, it's challenging, no doubt, technology is challenging, but we don't have to bear the same level of resilience in the North American software industry that you might in some other environments that you're learning these things in. And I think, so I think like, I completely understand that imposter syndrome would always be there, but I just, I wonder sometimes if there's more of a resilience that, you know, we had or in earlier days of the internet or we had in you know different you know environments where you're learning from i do know that the experience i had um you know and, and for most part these were very senior people that i was interfacing with in in shanghai but there there was a an air of confidence um you know a very strong air of confidence i felt and, and maybe that was just culturally reinforced because of you know reasons i don't particularly understand but it definitely was something that was curious to me after that is, is I thought, you know, maybe maybe there is just more imposter syndrome in our North American software development culture because we, you know, we're really trying to um, emphasize a lot of these complex ideas and you have to know everything and there's just so much choice. Whereas in some places it can be a little okay. bit more simple. Like I need internet, I need a terminal, and I need a language that can compile yeah. and do a thing, right? So there's not as many variables for you to be overwhelmed with possibly. You have to simplify it, you have to take on that minimum yeah that's a good point and thought of it like that i don't know Maybe yeah, it'd be interesting to see some sort of you know data on that uh you know survey data i guess spread across different uh tech ecosystems i guess you could do in different metros areas and see what what that yeah. per, what that perspective is because it is a good thought i think what you're bringing up kyle because this is like you, you, you know you, you sometimes you're so ingrained in your own culture which is a lot has a lot to do with your you know geographic like proximity uh, that you may not realize what is part of that culture and what is it. Uh, yeah, I, I, a bit of the forest versus trees thing there. I think even like when I remember coming up and there'd be people who are like, "Oh man, that person's such a good developer." You know what I mean? Like that's what would sometimes create that that imposter syndrome for me perpetually because I'm like, "Oh, mm -hmm. I'm not as good as that." And I think sometimes. Um, 
you know, like they're it's you're starting you start to see the forest through the trees and, and like in North America the access to internet, access to information, any of those things, there's just so much that you can look at and compare yourself to and go, mm. Whoa, like that's what I have to learn, you know? I, I don't know what that means, you know. But then here you are six months later and you've learned it better than the person that you were looking up to or something like you know, because it's really yeah. hard. You gotta get started as you said earlier. And I think once you get to a point too, where you you know that level, you know that scale of how good some someone can be at something. This comes up a lot with snowboarding for me. It's like, I know I'm a really bad snowboarder. I can go down the hill without falling, but I know I'm pretty bad. But then I ask other people who I know are pretty good snowboarders. And I'm like, how are, are you, you know, how, you know, how good are you or whatever? And like, oh, I'm not, I'm pretty bad. And I'm like, okay, you're like three levels above me. <laughs> So how are we both bad, you know, <laughs> but they totally. just, they just know that professional level because they've done it so much. Yeah. Yeah. But that's how you get better. You find For people sure. who have, who think they're bad and you're like, they're great. And then now it's, there's this little bit yeah. of benchmark competitive thing. And I think, um, my competitive nature was always one of the things that created more imposter syndrome for me, but I would always mm. rule that with like, well, time to get, time to get better. Like if that, if they can do it, I'm going to have to figure out how to do it. I mean, not in snowboarding. Anymore, <laughs> maybe, maybe sometimes in programming. <laughs> yeah, yeah definitely. I think a little bit of competitive nature is can can help for sure. Have yeah, you, this, have you this, seen that in any of your in your mentorship? Just like challenging a little bit of challenging as a, as an element that is factored in. You, you talked a little bit about the supportive nature of the mentor that you had. Um, now, as you mm-hmm. have gone into different environments, you know, how do you think about more of that challenging um, aspect of it. I, mean, I wouldn't use the word competitive because everybody's on the same team, but even yeah. the team are a little bit competitive together, right? Yeah, I think, um, yeah, I, I don't know that I would say like competitive either, but I think, so where I'm, where I'm at now working at Dapper, it's a much larger team, right. um, uh, just like engineer wise. Um, I went from sort of team of two now to much bigger team and, and, and an incredibly supportive team. Um, like I feel very, very lucky. Um, and I think the nature of it is that we are all very supportive of each other and very supportive in pushing each other to kind of reach our best potential without sounding super cheesy. Like, um, everyone is very much eager to so i guess the way that they have it structured is obviously there are you know there are levels we have senior developers and we have senior engineers but uh on kind of the face of it everyone is just kind of grouped together and when we have um meetings around decisions to be made that involves all of us like very much, they're very uh, good about making everyone's voice heard and getting lots of different opinions. So I've never felt that I am, you know, like a super junior developer where I'm just getting like these little tasks to go and, and finish off. Like mm-hmm. we're all involved in the implementation meetings and the like even like the feature planning meetings. Um, and I think just by kind of involving everyone, you're empowering people to a not feel like they're just kind of a cog in, in the wheel but actually like a, a really kind of integral part of this whole system and team um and i think that is not necessarily um 
not necessarily like directly challenging, but it's kind of this way of going like, you know, like you are directly involved in the success of this product. And that is super empowering and, and I think really motivational. Yeah, and it drives you to want to bring your best work, your best voice to the conversation yeah. too. And that's, I think, part of it where nobody's challenging you necessarily directly in that situation, but the group dynamic creates this inclusive yet, inclusive for the purpose of having the best ideas rise to the top. And then everybody sort of brings their best, their best foot forward when they're contributing to those conversations because they want the whole team to rise above the individual capability, right? Yeah, 100%. That's awesome. Dapper's amazing. I mean, we've been following along uh, for a while. I, I, there are so many great engineers over there. And um, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, came out of out of Axiom as well, right? At one point. Yeah, so know WorldCam yeah. really well. And been just so many good things that that, that group of people have. I definitely am. I, I I love I love working there. That's great. And we yeah we're, we we kind of still sit under like the Axiom Zen umbrella a little bit, uh, but Dapper is really kind of making a lot of steps in independence in the gaming blockchain yeah. sector. Tell us a little bit about it for anyone who doesn't know about Dapper Labs and what Dapper. Sure. Is. Yeah. So I guess what what Dapper is really famous for is Crypto Kitties, um, which is online uh basically like blockchain gaming where you can buy sell and breed collectible cats um which had yeah (laughs) 100 it's like neopets on the blockchain that's right um it comes full circle it comes full circle yeah 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 uh and i guess dapper's kind of mission is that like bringing bringing fun and games to the blockchain um so it's looking at this it's a newer technology um, and how can we apply things like gaming to it. So the project that I'm working on right now is a game with the partnered with the NBA uh, called NBA Top Shot. Um, and it's kind of similar sort of style, collectible, um, like but basketball moments in basketball history. So you can, you can own on the blockchain moments in basketball history. So that's how, yeah. That's, and how does that look like? You know, if you if I want to go back and like I don't know, take Michael Jordan's like you know famous last minute shot, win, game winning shot. Can I can I actually own that oh, shot? An expensive one. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, that's gonna be a pricey one. How many crypto kitties is it gonna take? Yeah. That's what I want to know. Might be a couple. Um, <laughs> well, you can find that out pretty soon because we're in our beta stage right now. So we've cool. got some users playing around with it. Um, and that's yeah, I think we're gonna have probably public launch coming up fairly soon and then you'll get to get to see but you can get on the wait list if you want um if you go to nba top shot nba top shot.com um you can get on the wait list for that and uh yeah get get invited to own some basketball moments nice nice it's great to see your work go into the real world and have people use it isn't it yeah it's super exciting it's uh it's really neat seeing especially being on a on a bigger team where you know, working very, uh, very much on like certain things. And then when it all comes together and we have like our, our show and tells where we see the product all finished together, um, it's, you're like, oh man, there's so much going on that like, I'm not aware of too. And it's all come together to create this, this really neat product. 
There it is right there. Dapper. Well, there we go. I put my I put in my my two cents there. I'm gonna be looking and to see what sort of uh, opportunities I can you know probably some KG one since I'm from I grew up in Minnesota. So just nice. to be to be honest, it, sorry Michael Jordan. <laughs> well, Sadie, I mean we're almost to the end of the hour. Uh, thanks so much for coming on. Is there anything that we you know anything else you know shout outs anything else you wanted to bring up? Um, thanks. Oh man, I didn't prepare my shout outs. Shout outs um, to mom. I'll, I'll do it for yeah. you, mom. Mom and dad. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I think I think uh, probably just shout outs to all my mentors too in, in, the, in the whole progress of becoming a developer. I think that your, your kind of leader, leadership and senior devs and, and mentors and, and peers as well are so important in uh, helping you overcome imposter syndrome and level up and, and get better at what you're doing. That's amazing. Yeah, I totally mm -hmm. agree. Mentorship is, is so, so valuable and it's really great that people, you know, put that effort and time into others. Yeah. Uh, Sadie, where can we find you online? Um, I'm on Twitter. My Twitter name is Sadef, S-A-D-E-F, I believe. Um, <laughs> I'm not super active on Twitter. I've um, heard of that site, I think. But, and yeah. We'll throw it into the, uh, we'll throw it in the description so people can find you and say hello and. Uh, awesome. Yeah. Tweet me anytime. My, also my personal website is Sadie.codes. Nice. All right. That's yeah. Good one. Yep. Thanks. That's that's that that's high praise coming from. I the love your domain. domain name. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that one that one will go. You watch out. You're gonna start getting emails of like, can we buy this off of you, please? Like, yeah. That, that <laughs> yeah. Uh, I know. <laughs> it's gonna get more expensive. <laughs> yeah. Hold on to it. Hold on to it. <laughs> Just keep a you know the the crypto ki kitty tracker of you know. I yeah. Mean, I, know know the value in crypto kitties i guess is what i'm trying to say right, yeah. well thank you my basketball yeah oh yeah oh yeah that's to pay for my domain that's not so interesting i'm i'm very curious to see where that goes uh and and what i can get what can you know what sort of you know uh, probably food items can i get for certain basketball moments at really key times so sadie thanks for coming on it was a pleasure it's so great to hear about your developer journey and uh it seems like you're in a really great place now so appreciate it and uh yeah th that's it for the op show thank you thanks so it. much thanks for having me it was fun. Yeah.